good morning. In 2001, I walked into TD Square with a feeling. I felt like I needed something. I needed something nice to wear, primarily shoes. I needed some dress, some dress shoes for church, something that looked fancy, fashionable, masculine, and most importantly, cheap. Um, and so with this mediocre confidence and this feeling, I meandered my way through the mall, through the different stores, and people would politely ask me if they needed help, and yes, it was their job, but more, more obvious was the fact that I really did need help. Um, and I would politely tell them no, and eventually, I started to get fatigued, um, and I made my way into one store. Next thing I know, um, I'm in this slick European store, and I'm trying on these high-waisted, pleatless, wool, wool, dress pants um, that apparently are all the rage. To be honest, I've never seen that pair or style then or ever again. Um, but they were all the rage somewhere, um, and they didn't quite fit me correctly. So next thing I know, I'm, they're being hemmed and adjusted to fit my size, and I'm just kind of all there in it, and I'm like, I, okay, here we go. And then on my way home, I had a new feeling that started to rise up in me. I looked into the bag, and I said to myself, what have I just done? I wanted cool. These aren't cool. They're weird. Um, I hate these. <laughs> and they're not really even the right size for me. And they are expensive. I wanted cheap. And I wanted shoes, not pants. The whole thing. I was outwitted, outmatched, outmaneuvered by this slick salesman. Um, has, any ever, has anyone ever told you the rule of grocery shopping? Don't buy groceries when you're hungry. You've probably heard that before. You've probably done that before and learned the lesson. Because then when you're hungry, you will impulsively buy all sorts of random stuff you don't need, you don't really want, or at worst, you shouldn't buy. The hunger impulse will bypass your wise, discerning, calm mind, and next thing you know, you're eating Cheetos while you're pushing the cart, looking around, be like, I became that person. And yes, um, you get home, and then you think to yourself, this doesn't seem right. Um, when you shop with focus, you get home with food. You show up at home with food. When you shop frazzled and unfocused, you get home and you ask yourself, uh, are these bags even mine? Uh, do you ever arrive at the end of your day, one of those days, feeling fragmented and restless? Like you didn't accomplish what you hoped. You didn't spend your time on what you would have liked, and yet you don't know exactly what you would have changed or done differently. Do you ever feel that sense of panic, angst, or even anger? That life doesn't seem to be lining up for you? I have, and I do bet that you have as well. It's pretty easy to end a day feeling anxious, worried, cluttered, and confused. We live in a world that is anxious, chaotic, complex, and it demands that we live in the same hurried, fast-paced kind of way. This work, then crash, work, then crash, work, then crash. 
and then get sick, and then recover, work, then crash, and repeat. Because isn't that just how, isn't that just how life is supposed to be? Isn't that just the definition of living? Um, but there is another way, a simpler way. We need to simplify. We need to embrace the power of simplicity. We are in a sermon series called Grow Today, where we look at spiritual and physical disciplines that we can build into our lives so that we can make space for God to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, when some of you hear the word simplify, you have this longing. You don't need any convincing. You need help. You resonate with that desire to declutter your space, your heart, your mind. You know that life is out of balance and that you need to spend more time doing what you actually want to do and desire to do. But there are some of us, there are those here listening and watching, when you hear the word simplified, you feel resistance. You privately detest this idea because to you that sounds like weakness or laziness because to accomplish the great life requires chaos, a frenetic pace, and the, you'll happily say things like, I will rest when I'm dead, right? So whether it's fast-paced living or slow living, that doesn't change the fact that we have this chaotic core. For some of you, you actually need to speed up. For others, you need to slow down and clear the schedule. But for all of us, it's actually deeply necessary. It isn't a le about less or more. It's about clarity and focus. Simplicity isn't less to be, you know, just to be minimalistic or lazy. Far from it. Now, simplicity takes courage. I like how Thomas Merton puts it. Without courage, we can, can never attain true simplicity. Cowardice keeps us double-minded. Simplicity is organizing your life around what matters. Simplicity, I'll say it again, is organizing your life around what matters. The practices around the spiritual discipline of simplicity are designed to put your loves, the things that you hold dear, in their proper place so that you give the right amount of power, attention, and time to those things. When Paul says in that classic passage in Romans, I do that which I do not want to do, and those things I do, I don't want to do, and it's this convoluted but powerful statement of saying, we so often don't do what we want, and the things we do, we don't want to do. Simplicity is choosing to fight against that pull. The core of simplicity isn't do less and have less. Well, that is a critical component, and I'll speak to that in a minute. But rather, prioritizing the things you want to do and lending these tasks and roles the power, influence, time, and attention appropriate to their position in the order you set. True simplicity is doing less of what matters least and doing more of what matters most. You don't just empty your life of the bad. You fill it with the good. 
Jesus was a man in motion. He accomplished profound work, and he did it in three years. He accomplished so much in those three years that most of us would assume his life was chaotic, that it was busy, that it was full and hectic and this and that and all sorts of things clashing all over the place. And yet when we read the New Testament and we walk with Jesus, we get this deep sense that he was a man who modeled the power of simplicity. He was busy, He was never hurried. He had tasks all the time, but never seemed to lose his focus. People had constant demands on him, but he lived a pace of life that brought a calming peace to so many people. He was a man who lived simply and, in his simplicity, accomplished amazing things. He always had time for what mattered most. I love this passage, Luke 10, 38 to 42, and I'm going to be reading from the NIV. This great story is where he not only models the life of simplicity, but he speaks directly to it, and he addresses some of the fears that come with people and simplicity. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. She came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her, tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, what I like about this passage is Jesus didn't say, Martha, you are messed up and you are doing everything wrong. I can picture Jesus in this story, that he's saying something like, Martha, if if you're able to put down and, and slow down and Stop this, like, frantic fight to find favor. It isn't going to, it's not going to get you what you really want. There is one thing, just one thing, Martha, and it's me. I'm not saying preparing food and living with responsibility is not valuable. I am saying that you have it upside down. Do you know your focus? Do you know what matters most? You invited me into your home and yet you're so frantic and distracted and so worked up. Didn't didn't you invite me into your home to be with me? Now he said to Mary, he said this about Mary, Mary has chosen the better part. And then he says, I won't let, this is kind of the way I see it, I won't let your angst, Martha, I won't let your fretting hinder another person from experiencing my joy. But it's not just that. I invite you to stop, slow down, and come and sit and listen to me as well. Isn't isn't that the whole point? Isn't that why I'm here? Pursuing simplicity isn't just about your own life. Your fretting and chaos 
probably affects others. And I, I would even ask, have you evaluate that. Does the chaos of my life affect other people? Matthew 13, 1 to 8. Again, a classic verse that I just want to read out to you because it illustrates again uh, such an important part of what the idea of simplicity is for us. Now, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some of the seeds fell on the path and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they, did have, since they had no root, they withered away. Now verse 7 says this, Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. A life that hears the truth of God, accepts it, lets his story go deep and shapes us to the core, works to keep the cares of the world at bay and the lures of wealth far away. This is the transformed life. This is the life of substance and the life of joy. This is what Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus allowing to happen in her life. Those thorns that grew up and choked out the possibilities. This is the kind of life that accepts discipline and invests in practices that make space for God to be the gardener of your soul. I know for myself, and I know for many of you, we are that, that seed that, I, that is said later on, the seed that fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. It has nothing to do with the deep roots. It has nothing to do with being in good soil and nourishing things that are part of your life, but there's so many other things that just push in and push out. And next thing you know, it's chaos, and you don't even know what you're doing today. You don't even know why you got up. You don't even know why you're tired and you're fighting for it. The discipline of simplicity can break those things and break those strongholds in your life. Warren Buffett, rich billionaire man, all right? He wanted to help his employee get ahead of his working life. So he suggested that the employee list 25 most important things he wanted to accomplish in the next few years. He then had the employee circle the top five of this big list, all right? And all seemed well, you know, this seemed wise, okay, you know, I've got my big 25 list and then I've circled my top five. And then the billionaire asked one more question, what are you going to do with the other 20 things? And the employee answered, well, the top five are my primary focus, but the other 20 come in at a close second. They are still important. So I'll work on those intermittently as I see fit as, getting, as I kind of slowly get through my top five as well. They are not as urgent, but I still plan on giving them some dedicated effort. Buffett surprised him with his response. No, you've got it wrong. 
everything you didn't circle just became your avoid at all costs list. When I read that, I was like, huh, but those are good things. Like, they're in my top 25. Like, I should be investing in them, shouldn't I? I challenge you to think about that for a second. What happens, does it, what happens to us when we go after the okay and never get after the good and the great? Steve's job, Steve Jobs, another guy. <laughs> Steve's Jobs, you know, involved. <laughs> uh, Steve Jobs said something similar in an interview a few years ago, several years ago. Uh, people think focus means saying yes to the things you have to focus on. But that's not what it means at all. It means saying no to the hundred other things, the other good ideas, um, you know, as good as they are. You have to pick carefully. I'm actually as proud of the things I haven't done as the things I have done. Innovation is saying no to 1,000 things. Now, to get to a place where saying no to unimportant and saying yes to what matters most, it takes practice. So let's get to the practical side of all of this. I'm going to walk through some helpful things, and in my opinion, I think all of these should be incorporated into your life. Number one, practice minimalism with your possessions. Now, I know early on I did say it's not about less stuff, right? I did say that. Well, it still kind of is about having less stuff. The core, sim the core of simplicity is not less for its own sake, and it is a focus on priorities. That is important. But you'll never learn how to reorder your passions and reorder what you love if you are unwilling and are never willing to let go of the things that you have. We need to learn how to loosen our grip on the things we have accumulated in our lives. Attachment to owning and having takes our eyes off of what matters most. And when, when you let go of something, you discover what actually matters to you. Hold on to the things that, as Maria Kondo says, sparks joy. And quite practically, accumulating less stuff means you have fewer things to take care of, you have fewer things to manage, uh, you're less likely to go into debt, and then you are freer to uh, be free to do and spend on other things that matter most. It uncomplicates your life and unburdens your life. Debt, for example, it destroys your freedom. It complicates so much. It's hard to put your family first when you need to put in overtime to pay the bills. It's hard to donate money to charities that you believe in when most of your paycheck is already spoken for. Does that make sense? Practicing, practice having less so that you can start to discover what actually matters to you. Having, buying, getting feels great in the moment, uh, but it will never save you. And that busyness, that being so full, it, it clouds the mind and it makes it hard to know what matters. So number two, so that's number one. Number two is declutter your digital life. 2020 is the year of living online. 
even right now, please don't take this too practically and like declutter by logging off right now, but take this to heart. We have gotten so obsessed with our digital life, so obsessed that it fills us and it blocks out the things that matter most. Um, Brett and Kate McKay, in their blog post on simplicity, said this, Nothing sabotages our desire to concentrate on what matters quite like our smartphones. We want to be present with our kids when we're checking our email. We want to study in solitude, but we can't break away from the cycle of scrolling. Right? Oh, wow. It's just, it gets you. We say we love our family and faith most of all, but spend more time looking into a glowing screen than into our spouse's eyes. More time consulting the oracle of Google than scripture. Our digital devices constantly tempt us to get the order of our loves out of whack. The result is day after day, distracting day, is this feeling of scatteredness and restlessness. Our lives feel like fragmented pieces rather than a simple unified whole. And though we feel guilty and restless and wasting time on insignificant and trivial things, we just keep doing it. We must thus, thus not only purge and organize our physical spaces, but our digital ones too. I, so that was a whole quote that I just read from their post, because I just really appreciated the practical, simple truth that was mentioned there. Third point, schedule your time. Put the big rocks of your life in first, then the small ones. Review your schedule. Your schedule, like your budget, is very revealing. You, you say reading and you know, spending time reading a good book matters, but it never actually shows up in your schedule. You say meals with family matters. But a meal in the office actually is what happens more often than not. It is far less about what I want to get done and far more about who I want to become is what the schedule actually should be all about. It's very revealing because it points to us about our priorities. So I encourage you, take a look at your schedule. Maybe take a look at your expenses. They tell you what matters, even though you say you like something. Mm, you might actually like this thing more. That's where you spend your time. And then number four, this is a good one. Work when you work and play when you play. Uh, Brett and Kate say this in their blog, uh, in the same blog. Yet, while you have many roles in life at any given moment, you should try to fully inhabit the task at hand. Try to do just one thing at a time and be fully present in that frame. We typically divide up our attention instead. We work for a few minutes, check our phones for a few, then we get back to work and then we go back to our phone and the converse is equally true. We interrupt our leisure time to check email, to dabble in some work. Our work is interlaced with play and our play is interlaced with work so that everything we experience is fragmented more than whole. Such checkered experiences produce checkered results. When we play, when we, when we, yeah, when we play when we work, and when we work when we play, all of these things suffer. We live divided. 
we're not even really enjoying our play and our fun. When we work, when we play, we can never fully let go. Jesus teaches us that freedom is not found in having and doing, but in keeping God and his will first in our hearts. It's more about giving and being. But we don't have time for giving and being when we're too busy getting and getting and doing and going. Matthew 6, 19 to 21 says this, and I love how the first song we sang connects to this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus wants us to know that we don't need all the things or experiences we think we do. What we really need is to keep first things first, Jesus and his kingdom. Life becomes much simpler when one thing matters most, and life becomes transformed when that one thing is Jesus. I have a question for you. Do you believe that God deeply desires to see your life be transformed? Do you believe that, like a gardener, God desires to cultivate and work in your life? Do you believe that he is attentive to you? I know for myself that when I forget that God is more invested in my well-being than I am, I start to take my eyes off of the one thing that matters most. I start to slide into a scattered, frantic, internal storm of chaotic effort. Psalm 66, verse 19 to 20, says these words. But praises, but praises rise to God. For he paid attention to my prayer and answered my cry to him. I will forever praise this God who didn't close his heart when I prayed and never said no when I asked him for help. He never once refused to show me his tender love. Practice simplicity. Discover that God is working to produce joy and life in you. Get out of the way. Clear the clutter, both physically and spiritually. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Are you worried and distracted by many things? There is need of only one thing. Choose that better part. And that part will not be taken away from you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we see in your Son, Jesus Christ, a life that models the power of simplicity. Father, we choose to invest time in the practices that create simplicity. Lord, we choose to surrender our things, and the busyness. Lord, help us to minimize what's in our life. Lord, help us to do less and to clear up our schedule. Help us to declutter our digital lives. And Lord, help us to do that, those one things one at a time. When it's time to work, Lord, may we work with good, godly effort. And when it's time to play, May we enjoy our rest with you and others. 
And Lord, in all of this, I know that a life of simplicity is beautiful, but it's really hard. And so, Lord, may we take away the complexity of it all, acknowledge how hard it can be, but pursue it anyway. There is life in simplicity. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Trent. What a great reminder. Simplicity is something that all of us need to pursue, even in this season when stuff has been taken away from us. Simplicity can certainly be ushered in. I want to encourage you, uh, just like in, in my life, I, that point uh, that Trent brought up about, you know, let play be play and work be work. Uh, I have a tendency to blur those lines and uh, and I don't play well, and I and I, it causes me not to work well. And so that's something I'm going to challenge myself to this week. For you, you might be challenged with the okay. I've I've got to figure out how to have my digital presence. What's that going to look like? For some of you, it might be okay. What's the the big rocks that I I need to to navigate? We'd love to hear from you. Uh, this is not a a workout plan that we do by ourselves. These are things that propel us into the future uh, as we come out of COVID. These disciplines that we're talking about are actually disciplines that are lifelong pursuits. I want to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for you uh, just from Scripture. So if you can close your eyes, uh, I'm going to read some Scripture to you from, from Numbers. I, I love that Moses heard from God and he had a message that was given to that he was supposed to give to Aaron and his sons. He said this is the way that you're supposed to bless our children so that they're always marked by uh, by God and it says this and you've heard this numerous times the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May we go in peace this week knowing that our God calls us to not live complex life, but a life of simplicity. We love you, Jesus. We ask all this in your name. Amen.